Today I'm going to be speaking on, are you in or out? Are you hot or cold? Now this is not a popular message. This is not a message I'm going to be telling a whole lot of jokes in. This might even make you feel a little cringy and a little uncomfortable. But I would want to encourage you right now to lean into it. Because anything in the Word of God that makes you mad is actually not you getting mad. It's demons getting uncomfortable. Half the room's excited. The other half is struggling. We'll pray for you at the end uh, for some deliverance. (laughs) So um, today, just as the Bible told us, uh, men would be lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. Now, the Bible told us that, and when we hear scriptures like that, we tend to think, oh, that's people in the world. That's the heathens. That's the pagans. That's the unchurched. But he was actually writing this passage to the church. Okay. So I I really want to drill down today, uh, and I want to talk, and I want to give you some keys on how to get free from the spirit of the world. Now, immediately hearing that, you're probably saying, oh, that's not me. That's the person sitting next to me. I really hope they're listening. But the thing is, is that the spirit of the world doesn't knock on your door and announce itself. It finds a way to sneak in unnoticed and become part of the furniture and the culture. And so that's why we need to constantly be consuming the word of God that constantly will challenge us. And I would propose to you like this, that today that you assume a posture, uh, whether you're here or whether you're watching online... But assume a posture like David, who was someone who's someone that God does love, and David constantly would say, God, search me out and see if there's something in here that's not, not you. See if there's something in here that's not what you want in me. And so I would propose today that as we start going, and I've got a lot of stuff I want to talk about right now, and we're going to go through some stuff, but I would propose to each one of us, myself included, that we would just open up our heart to God and say, God, today... If there's something here, I ask that you would show me so we can work through this together. Amen? Okay. So, um, it seems as though many Christians and self-proclaimed believers are more focused on how, to, how, how close to the line they can walk rather than from how far from sin they can run. Believers, and I know every single person in this room, without putting your hands up, identifies with this statement. We're figuring out, this is a loophole culture. Well, I can do this because this was actually like this, and I found this scripture that gives me tolerance, although over here I probably shouldn't. But there's this little gray area in the middle. Hello? And if I just see, I kind of want to see how far I can get to that thing that looks like what everyone else is doing without God getting mad. So I'm, you, were you ever a kid and you had a big dog and the dog was sitting there sleeping and you wanted to get something so you snuck up to that dog? And you snuck up to that dog and then that dog started doing the growl. Anyone have that happen? They lift their top lips and they start growling. And you know in just a second, we're going to bite you. That happened to me a few times. I probably got some scars. And the thing is, is that instead of staying away from something that can bite you, people are figuring out how close, and I'm talking about Christians, people that call themselves Christians at least, are figuring out how close they can get to it. This is what the Bible calls 
an image or an appearance of godliness, but no power present. A form of godliness, but denying the power. We want to look as much like we can as God, but at the same time still enjoy all the benefits of sin. I would say that I have watched more people get taken out uh, from really deeply having intimacy with God, fulfilling their calling, being planted in a local church by having one foot in God and one foot still in things that they love that have no business in the kingdom. Okay, and so I want to go down there today. I'm going to take out the axe. I'm going to start whacking on some roots. Okay, so if you feel uncomfortable, that's probably something pinging in here. I'm not trying to get at anyone today, but I want to try to get you free. Because I promise you, you never ever have any regrets in the presence of God, but you always have regrets after you cross the line without realizing it. Okay. So I want to draw you, uh, I'm, I'm going to be speaking a lot of scriptures today, so if you want to write notes and do a study later, um, I would advise, and they're going to obviously be doing this for the home group, so there's going to be a lot of notes getting passed around. So I want to draw your attention to John chapter 14, the gospel of John chapter 14 verse 30, it was near the end of Jesus' life. Jesus is giving important statements to his disciples. I don't know about you, but I've been around people that are getting near to the end of their life. They've been on their deathbed, and the things that they say, are mat- they matter. They're not talking about the fact they didn't like their chai latte anymore. Yeah. They're starting to talk about the things that matter. They're talking about putting things right. They're talking about how do you, you know, to, I've, I've watched people that have, like, their com- they owned companies or they ran churches, and they got near to the end of their life, and they were starting to make sure that the right people were given the right information and the right um, Um, transfers of responsibility. Does this make sense? Jesus is near the end of his earthly life here. I want you to pay attention to that. Watch this. So John chapter 14, verse 30, Jesus says, I will no longer talk much with you. For the ruler of this world is coming. He was talking about that Satan was coming. He knew that Satan was coming to get him. And that had been something that had been predestined. But watch this. The ruler of this world is coming, and he has nothing in me. He has nothing in me. The enemy is looking to get a stronghold of sin, tolerance, compromise inside your life. That is called a stronghold. It is like a fortress and the sick. And just in the same way, we understand and value the value of when a prophetic word comes and God releases a prophetic word to us and we understand that that is a seed. And we understand that if we steward that seed and we water it and we remind God about it and we and we and we you know, uh, cherish it in our hearts and move towards it in the natural, that that seed is going to turn into a result. So does the devil. The devil understands that if you tolerate sin, if you try and figure out how close you can get, you know, like it's one of those situations, if you get close enough, it starts cycling through and this terrible noise comes out these speakers. So, So people that speak, they'll try and figure out, okay, that's my boundary right there. I better not cross that line because otherwise the noise is going to be terrible. Everyone's going to go deaf and it's going to change from a sermon into a healing ministry. Okay, So, so people figure that out and instead of killing the seed, they culture it. 
So Jesus is letting his guys know, the enemy's coming to get me, my time is coming, I won't have much time left to talk, but he has nothing in me. He doesn't have any addictions in me. He doesn't have perversion in me. He doesn't have hatred in me. He doesn't have unforgiveness in me. He doesn't have uh, uh, worldly living in me. Come on, somebody. The devil has nothing in me. I am a free title is what Jesus was saying. Okay. That's why it says, take heed and do not give a place to the devil. Another translation says, do not give him a foothold. You ever seen those rock climbers? They're just looking for a foothold. They just want one little thing they can grab or put their foot in to get to the next height. It's all about access. It's all about access and, and uh, locking things in. Does that make sense? Like anchoring in something that's going to... Like, for instance, uh, when I go fishing, I know there's some people here that like to go fishing. With a fish hook, you actually don't just have like a, a, a sort of a weird looking J, okay? You actually have a barb on the end. So the, the end of the hook is really sharp. And that's used to penetrate into the flesh of the skin of, uh, of the fish in its mouth, right? But the thing is, is that once that barb goes in far enough, that hook goes in far enough, there's a barb sticking back. And no matter how much that fish struggles, that barb is going to only assure the fact that I have fish tonight. It just goes deeper, and it takes a greater hold the further it wiggles in every time that fish fights. Does this make sense? And so the same is true of things that we tolerate that are actually on one level. Look, no one would sin if it wasn't appealing. Nobody would sin. We would all be clean. Jesus wouldn't have had to come. Sin is appealing. That's why the Bible says, and I know this preaching is probably a foreign language in this territory, but here we are again, chipping open the door. The Bible says that there is pleasure in sin for a moment, but it results in death. The the Bible isn't telling you that sin won't give you pleasure. Name any of the top ten sins. I guarantee you they're all associated with pleasure or gratification. Even hatred and unforgiveness has an endorphin. You you with me? Okay, cool. Say, I'm getting free today. We're getting free today. Okay, so what I want to do is I want to start jumping into a few of these things, um, and I want us to see it how God sees it, because you have a decision to make. Just because you come to church doesn't mean that you're walking with God right. Just because you read your Bible once in a while and pray and feel goosebumps doesn't mean that you haven't got stuff in you. Oh, but I've got Jesus. Well, let's read some scriptures and then we'll talk again at the end of the service. Is that cool? Because rather than you thinking that I'm an idiot and you can outsmart me with your loopholes, I'm just going to use the word of God and nail you. Okay. <laughs> Revelation chapter 3, I'm going to start with verse 14. And to the angel, this is the, the seven churches that, that Jesus was speaking to, to the angel of the church of the Laodiceans write these things, says the amen. That, the amen is Jesus. The faithful and true witness. The beginning of the creation of God. This is what he says. I know your works. So they were doing something. Hello? They were doing something. They were a church. 
these people didn't look like devils. They were a church, okay? Oh, this is really strong preaching. Yeah, I, I apologize for the culture shock, but that's one of the reasons why you're struggling is you haven't heard enough of this. For real. Or if you have, you've run away. So now it's time for us to listen to this and eat it down and let God, because this isn't me talking anymore. I'm just reading his words. Okay, so I know your works that you are neither cold nor hot. Say in or out. I wish that you were cold or hot, so then, because you were lukewarm, see, God's confirming. Someone needs to figure this out, like God is speaking today. Okay. I wish that you were hot, so then, because you were lukewarm, what lukewarm means, guys, is undecided. Here, let, let me tell you one of the biggest lies that I hear from Christians that talk to me, because I, look, I'm hardcore. 100%, I'm all in. I can do better, though. I'm not there. I'm on a journey. People say to me, oh, you're too hardcore. That dwelling place church, too hardcore. <laughs> They're crazy. As opposed to your undecided. Because that's the only opposite of being hardcore for Jesus. Oh, I don't like how you guys are so radical. I don't appreciate how you're such a coward. I mean, how else do you want me to say it? This is Jesus talking here. So let's go back to what Jesus is saying. So then because you are lukewarm and neither hot nor cold, I will vomit you, spew you, spit you out of my mouth. Hello. Come on, let, let holy conviction sink in today. I'm not going to brush this off with cool jokes. This is one we all... Look, some of you are squirming right now saying, when, when, oh, he's already over time. We need to go. Listen, you're the one that has that weird green juice in the morning. You subject yourself to all kinds of stuff in the name of health. How about we have a little green shot in the Holy Ghost today? <laughs> Clean out them parasites you've been living with. Hello. <laughs> That's about the only joke you're getting today. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. Because you say I am rich and I become wealthy and I have need for nothing. Now, let me just stop right there. That is not just money. That's all your knowledge that you've accumulated with your podcasts and your YouTube and your Facebook followers. That's all of your stories and your, your association with people of influence in the church that make you feel secure because they hugged you and told you you're awesome. It's not what Jesus is saying. It's what you're trying to get people to do for Jesus that Jesus isn't actually saying. It's your, oh, I've become wealthy with knowledge about the kingdom and I can worship really well. So, Jesus already told the, the Laodiceans that they had good works. Because I am rich and I've become wealthy, I have need of nothing and do not know that you're wretched, miserable, poor, blind, and naked. He's not talking natural. He's talking what he sees when he looks at their spirit. Okay? Therefore, now there's hope. Say there's hope. This is Jesus. Jesus is always a God of truth but hope. This is what God says. I will always make a way of escape for my loved ones. So you're in a mess, and there is a way of escape, but that escape usually means humbling yourself and doing what's right. 
Okay, in this case, this is what it looks like. I counsel you to buy from me gold refined in the fire. Well, that sounds really cute. That sounds like this really poetic thing. Now, what that means is God wants to put you in the fire and burn the crap out. Gold refined in the fire speaks of purification. It doesn't speak of, oh, it's okay. Jesus loves you anyway and God's happy all the time. <laughs> What's hmm. <laughs> I'm hearing roasting happening, baby. I'm hearing the, crisping, the, the crackling of crispy roast. <laughs> okay. We all need it, myself included. We need to hear this stuff. Because otherwise we settle into a false comfort of everything's okay and God's not told me off. So all those sins that I'm dabbling with, oh, I guess he's kind of changed his mind. The whole world's becoming liberally tolerant now of stuff that God has eagerly condemned to hell for eternity. And we somehow think that God's going to let it slip because the world's changed. And someone needs to stand up and speak the uncomfortable truth of, no, this is God's plan. It's God's rules. We're doing this his way. We don't get to make it our little toned-down version of compromise. Just, just take your green shot. It's going gonna, it's gonna to be good, okay? <sighs> that you may be rich and white. So what he's saying is you think you're rich, but you're not. Let me give you true riches. Okay, and I need to move because this is my first scripture, and I've got a lot of scriptures today. Okay, um, that you may be rich in white garments, that you may be clothed, purity, right, and dignity, and that the shame of your nakedness may not be revealed. Do you notice that, that the shame of your nakedness may not be revealed is a future tense? Do you get that? That's not today. Because today you're fooling everybody. But in eternity, everyone will see everything. You can't, you can't fool your pastor in eternity. You can't fool your friend. You can't pretend to be something that you're not. Right now in the spirit realm, you, just, just because you've got nice clothes on and you know how to say the things, and no, no, what you're doing in secret, God knows. And just because he hasn't dealt with it yet doesn't mean he's not displeased. What you have is a false sense of security in the grace time he's giving you to put it right. So people take that as like God's with it. It's okay. It's not. Come on. It's actually an, a gracious, loving opportunity to bypass judgment. And I'm not talking about eternal judgment right now. Now I'm talking about judgment because if you won't actually listen to the book then God will let your consequences speak to you. Okay. So I need to move, I need to move here quick. Um, and anoint your eyes with eye salve. Why? Because you've been looking at everything wrong. You've been looking with a different set of value systems um, that you may see. And many, as many as I love, I rebuke and chasten. What's happening to all of us today, myself included, we're getting a little correction. That means that God loves you. I haven't heard this for a long time. Well, then you haven't been around people that actually are letting God love you properly. As many as I love, I rebuke and chasten. Therefore, be zealous and repent. Oh, they're too hardcore. 
That word zealous is hardcore, by the way. Same, same, but different. Okay? If you want to live hardcore. Okay. Behold, I stand at the door and knock, and if anyone hears my voice and opens, I will come into him and dine with him and he with me. To him who overcomes. Now watch this. What, what's he talking about? Because he just talked about fellowship, and now he's talking about overcoming. Overcoming what? All the junk that we just talked about. Watch this. To him who overcomes, I will grant to sit with me on my throne as I also overcame and sat down with my father on his throne. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Now, when Jesus was on earth and the mother of the disciples came and said, let him sit at your, at your left and right, he said, that's not for me to decide. Now he's saying it's given to him. But he's saying you have to overcome. And for him to overcome, he said, there's nothing in me. Oh, I don't know if I could ever do that. That's just too hard. No, no, no. I can do all things through Christ. If by the Spirit you put to, deed, to death the deeds of the flesh, you shall be sons of God. That means if you live with a title of Christian but tolerate the deeds of the flesh, you're not. That's a hard word right there, but it's true. Okay, that was my first verse. Actually, it was my second verse. So, so now I want to just start looking a little bit. What keeps us with one foot in the world and one foot in the kingdom? How, does the, how do we get to a place where we're living split between worlds? The amount of people that I've personally walked into the kingdom, I've watched them weep, I've watched God touch them, I've watched them get filled with the Spirit of God, praying in tongues, whacked out on the floor, healed in their body, miracles in their body, miracles in their relationships, miracles in their finance, but they walked away from God because not because of all the stuff that they've experienced charismatically, spiritually, Holy Ghost level, but because of what they refused to divorce. That's why people don't make it. Because they still want to have that piece of cake that God said is going to kill them. Woo! This is tough preaching today. So let's go there. I'm going to give you five examples of people and situations where people had this issue. Okay, we're going to study this right now. Is that cool? Okay, number one. Come with me to the second book of Timothy, chapter four. Second book of Timothy, chapter four, verse 10. Second book of Timothy, chapter four, verse 10. This is Paul speaking. For Demas, Demas was Paul's son, his spiritual son that was his disciple. Someone he'd raised for several years, and he was being raised up to actually be another minister. Watch this. For Demas has forsaken me, having loved this present world, and has departed for Thessalonica. Right? And he talks about his other two sons. Demas actually was in love with himself. You say, but it just said that he was in love, he, he, having loved this present world, right? 
all the trappings and the lace that this world has to offer, all of the special niceties and the fillings and the, all the things, he was in love with that. But in order to be someone that's indulgent, you have to be self-centered. Hello? So whether Demas had a side chick, whether he had a drug addiction, whether he was a party animal, whether he became ashamed of the gospel and wanted to slip back into mediocrity because he wanted to be more relevant, because if you're truly going to take a stand with the scriptures, people aren't actually going to like you. Oh, by the way, including a whole lot of compromised other believers that believe that this is too hardcore. Okay, so that's number one, Demas. Now, this is not just a churchgoer. This was one of the Apostle Paul's closest protégés. You get this? Your proximity doesn't matter. There's a lot of people that they'll come into all types of different churches, and their first priority is how can I get around the pastors? Why? Because you refuse to get around Jesus in your bedroom. So you need proximity with someone that looks powerful to you. And so you believe that your proximity with them somehow buys you a pass. Someone getting something today? This is a good message. It's not a pleasant one, but it's a good one. Okay? (laughs) Okay, the next person I want to talk about is Judas, speaking of proximity. Judas chapter, sorry, Judas chapter 12. Well, that book got burned up for sure. He probably was writing his notes too. Okay, John chapter 12. (laughs) John chapter 12. I'm going to read from verse 3. Then Mary, this is Mary Magdalene. We believe it's Mary Magdalene. Then Mary took a pound of very costly oil, oil of spikenard, anointed the feet of Jesus, wiped his feet with her hair. And the house was filled with the fragrance of oil. But one of his disciples, hashtag Judas Iscariot, Simon, uh, Simon's son, who would betray him, said, Why was this fragrant oil not sold for 300 denarii and given to the poor? Now, that sounds like a very smart intellectual thing, doesn't it? Okay. So, he, she anointed Jesus' feet with his hair. Judas speaks up and he says, This should have been sold and given to the poor. We should have distributed this. This, this indulgence was not acceptable. Right? Okay, let's keep reading. This had been said not because he cared for the poor, (laughs) but because he was a thief and had the money box. And he used to take what was put in it. Get, Get this, guys. Judas didn't just take 30 pieces. He'd been stealing from Jesus all along. Because he believed that he had rights that no one could see. He was touching the Son of God every day. He was stewarding Jesus' money that people had given Jesus the person. And he was pocketing it. Straight mafia. He was taxing Jesus. Do you understand now? Do you understand how messed up the situation was? Okay, this was not just like, oh, you know, got to pick a pocket or two, boy. This was like a legitimate, he was taking stuff all the time, and he believed that money belonged to him because he was taking it. So Judas loved money. Proximity, I don't care who you have. I've had people come up to me like, well, I served this person for 12 years. 
and I look at them and say, so? That, is that a status symbol? Do, you, do I need to go get a badge and sew it onto your shirt? Like, did you do that for Jesus, or did you do that so you could tell me? Do you get what I'm saying? So people exchange proximity. And look, here's the thing. I'm not taking away. Proximity around the right people will change your life. But it is not a bypass so that you don't have to be intimate with God. Judas was right next to Jesus, and yet he was living like Satan. Because it's exactly what Satan did. Satan was at the throne next to the seat of God, right in front. And he was stealing from God, right in front of God. You can have proximity, it doesn't make you anything. And Judas loved money. Jesus Christ, actually Paul talked about it later, he talked about uh, you cannot love God and mammon, or you cannot serve God and mammon. And mammon is the name of the demon in Satan's hierarchy, demonic hierarchy, that is like a general over the monies of this world. If you didn't know that, now you know. His name is mammon, he's a demon. It's not just the word for money. It is a demon that is assigned to earthly finances. Someone getting something? So here's the deal. I want to be very rich. Not so that I can be blessed, but money is a tool. I don't love money. I love what I can do in the kingdom with money. There's a difference. If you love money, you can't love God. It's that simple. You get, you get this? Now... That doesn't mean that God... See, that's why people, like, they don't know how to talk about money. Jesus talked about money in his top three subjects. Someone get it? This is number two. Money. Demas loved himself. He loved the world. Judas loved money. Okay, let's go to the next one. Number three. Matthew chapter 19. I'm going to read from verse 16. Matthew chapter 19, verse 16. The rich young ruler... Now behold, one came to him and said to him, Good teacher, what good thing shall I do that I may have eternal life? And he, Jesus, said to him, Why do you call me good? No one is good but one, that is God. But if you want to enter into life, keep the commandments. And then the rich young ruler said to him, uh, Which ones? And Jesus said, You shall not murder, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not steal, you shall not bear false witness, honor your father and mother. And he's, he's listing all of the Ten Commandments that are at a premium in Jewish culture. Okay? Um, and you shall not love your neighbor as yourself. And then the young man said to him, All these things I have kept from my youth. Now, this is interesting here because he's in church and he's actually a pretty good dude. He's keeping all the rules. But Jesus still finds lack. Okay? Sometimes we put pride in how well we are. We're like a proud, I call them proud virgins. Well, I've never slept with anybody, I'm just pure. I'm better than all the others. No, that's actually disgusting. You with me? Because when people place, when people place value in how good they've been, you are telling God, I don't need you. Self-righteous as opposed to put on the righteousness of God. Do you see this? 
And it becomes this works to strive to be something so you can boast about how good you are instead of I am nothing and he gave me everything. Does this make sense? So this young man had that posture. Now watch this. Jesus said to him, if you want to be perfect, go sell what you have and give to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven. Come and come, follow me. Watch this. He says, come, follow me. Now, Legion had 6,000 plus demons cast out of him, maybe up to 20, they say, 1,000 demons. And he says, can I be one of your disciples? And Jesus says, no. This is the only other person that we know of, at least that I can find, that Jesus invited to be, this guy could have been the 13th disciple. Do you understand that? He was invited into deep covenant. What kept him from deep covenant? Because he was in church, guys. He was in church doing what was right, and Jesus invited him higher, but he couldn't go because the devil had something in him. You ever seen those hot air balloons? They are so powerful. They're filled with hot air, and they've got those special uh, torches that fill. They, they fire those epic, like, six-foot jets of flames. You seen those? But there's ropes that hold them to the ground. Someone getting something today? Because I don't even need to go on any further. Everyone knows what it is. Everyone knows the things I'm talking about right now. We all know why. Because I'm not the first person that's talking to you. Holy Spirit's been saying, hey, what about that? Hey, what about that? Hey, come on. It's time to put that thing to death. Come on. We need to kill this thing now. We can't go on like this. Come on. This is good. This is good organic food. <laughs> He said, come follow me. But when the young man heard that saying, he went away sorrowful because he had great possessions. He loved what he owned and was so self-righteous, he missed the kingdom right in front of him. You see, the thing is, is that there's things that Jesus asks us to do and we say no. Because we want things. We live as if we bought us at the cross. But he purchased us. That means he owns us. <laughs> Come on. Come on, you guys are real quiet. I know, I know, I know this is a, is a tough sermon. I get it. Next one we're going to go to. Okay, we're going to flip it up Old Testament right now. Come with me to Genesis chapter 19. Seems as we're in the 19s. Genesis 19, I'm going to start with verse 16. The, uh, the angels have come into the city of Sodom. They are rescuing Lot and his wife and their three daughters and the three young men that were engaged to the three daughters that never came out, by the way. Okay, now that's interesting because these three young men could have been rescued. Read, let's go. Uh, when he hesitated, this is the angels, the men grasped his hand. So Lot was so comfortable in his compromise that even when angels appeared and walked into the city, Lot didn't believe them fully. Let that sink in. He knew they were angels because he wanted to honor them because there was a mob of homosexual, uh, uh, like a gang trying to rape the angels. I mean, that's just messed up. That's when you know you're in trouble. And he's like, you can have my daughters instead, which is a whole other level of messed up. So he knew they were angels. He was protecting them, or trying to, because they were, they were God's messengers. 
But when they said God's going to destroy the city, he didn't believe them, and he kind of resisted it, and they grabbed him and said, I'm going to walk you out of here like a five-year-old. Hello? This was not his righteousness. This was the righteousness of Abraham, his uncle. Otherwise, he would have died with everyone else. You need someone in your life praying. You need someone in your life that can get a hold of God for you when you're deceived. And you need to listen when God sends the answer, even if you don't believe it fully. I don't like that's very controlling. Yeah, because you can't control yourself. God's going to have to help. That's why we get so insulted when you hear messages like this. If you're watching online and you're angry right now, Jesus wants to deliver you from the spirit of the world. Because that has been tormenting you. You can see the promised land, but you never cross Jordan because you're still in love with Egypt. Someone needs to cross their Jordan because if you stick there long enough, you die in the desert. And you get to a point and say, well, God was never going to be good to me. And it was never about God. The promise was there way back, way back when he spoke to Abraham in his tent. It's just you've got to let go of stuff in order to inherit. God's not inviting sin into heaven because that's mercy. That's not mercy. That's injustice. That's injustice. Okay. So when he hesitated, the men grabbed his hand and the hands of his wife and his two daughters. Sorry, there's two daughters. And he led them uh, safely out of the city, for the Lord was merciful to them. Mercy, okay? As soon as they had brought them out, one of them said, flee for your lives and don't look back and don't stop anywhere in the plain. Flee to the mountains or you will be swept away. There is a heavenly nuclear bomb about to rain down. Archaeologists think they've found Sodom and they say that nothing else could have burnt this soil and this ground like a nuclear bomb would have. They've found it. It wasn't just a little bit of fire that fell out of the clouds like rain. This was, this was like a strike. God was disgusted with what was happening there. Oh, God's changed. Has he? That's what you believe because you compromised. God's the same today, yesterday, today, and forever. Jesus came at the cross to make a way for forgiveness. Otherwise, none of us would get there. But God's the same. Okay, awesome. See, God's trying to cut stuff off you right now. This isn't a harsh word. This is actually a kind word. This is angels coming into your city to get you out of your slumber so that you can actually cross over and get breakthrough and provision. Problem is, is the world is spending 60 hours a week trying to numb you. Okay, now watch this, because I, I've been studying this this week, and I saw something that I hadn't seen before. Let's, let's look at this, because we all remember Lot's wife right now, True. We know where we're going with this, but there's something else. Watch this. So the angels are saying, flee to the mountains or you'll be swept away. But Lot said, no, my lords, please. Your servant has found favor in in your eyes. uh, And you have shown great kindness to me by sparing my life. But I can't flee to the mountains. This disaster will overtake me and I'll die. Watch this. Look, here is a town near enough to run to and it is small. Let me flee to it. It is very small, isn't it? He's manipulating angels right now. Do you realize how messed up this dude is? 
This dude, see, Lot's wife didn't turn to salt because she was separatist. His covering over her, her was broken. He was, the angel said, you need to get to those mountains. And he goes, well, I just want to stop along the way. I've never seen this before. Because you're always paying attention to, how could a woman turn into a pillar of salt? Was it Himalayan pink salt? Because she was a lady? <laughs> I don't know. You go find out from God. <laughs> but I saw that, and that tripped me right out. Because when you live close enough to the world, you start to reason like the world and compromise as your native tongue. Manipulation is your native tongue. And the angels of God can show up and you're trying to manipulate them. The word of the Lord comes and you're twisting it into something else. The, the, your pastor or your leaders try and call you out on something so you can get free and now it's their problem. Now they're the, now they're the devil. Woo! Listen, I'm happy. You, if you're not, that's okay. Just hang on for a minute. We're going to carve that thing off you. Then my life will be spared. He said to them, very well. I will grant this request to you. This is the angels. I will not over the, overthrow the town you speak of, which means that God planned to destroy it because it was evil. See, this was not Lot's first mistake. Lot's first mistake was abandoning the one that had the covenant, who was Abraham. Abraham was the one that had the covenant with God. And just because Lot's became successful, he thought, I'm going to break off. And Lot's like, uh, Abraham said to him, well, you choose where you want to be then if you want to separate. And Lot's like, I want to go down there towards the plains of Sodom where it's green and fertile. That was his first mistake. Because he was blessed because of his association. He left Abraham with, with, with um, livestock and servants. He left Sodom with just his daughters. Get this. Compromise will take you where you're not willing to go and a price that you would have never agreed to pay. Compromise. But when you're compromising, you believe that you're actually manipulating the outcome for a favorable result. Someone getting this? Compromise will destroy you and you'll be in agreement with it right up until the time you realize that it's destruction. See, for me, I'd rather be known to my dying breath as hardcore. I'd rather, I'd rather benchmark myself on this. I'd rather die f failing but trying rather than figuring out how to go as little as possible. See, I'm still going to make mistakes. I'm still going to fail. The Bible tells me that a righteous man falls and sins seven times a day. But God's going to lift me up. I'm going to make it. But I just can't be living a life looking for... Well, you know, and then you get Christians that start getting, uh, they get militant with you, like with me, and they start, well, I don't like the, this, this hard line that you're running. Okay, well, what are you running? It looks like some weird, like, wobbly thing to me. Because what happens is, is you actually start to defend the stronghold that you've become a part of. And then anyone that's actually living for Jesus becomes the enemy. That's when you know that the Spirit of God has left you. You now have a form of godliness, no power, and you're defending the devil and attacking the ones that are sold out. Woo! We need to get this one all across America. But flee very quickly because I cannot do anything until you reach it. 
That is why the town is called Zoar. However, that said. Uh, but by, by the time Lot reached Zoar, the sun had risen over the land, and the Lord rained down burning sulfur on Sodom and Gomorrah from the Lord out of the heavens. Thus he overthrew those cities, and the entire plain was destroyed. Those plains that he went to when he said bye-bye Abraham, the last thing that happened was those plains were burning. See, there is a way that seems right to a man. That's why assumption makes a donkey out of you and me. I thought that was very political. <laughs> Is that all right, Pastor Jeff? <laughs> Thus he overthrew those cities and the plains destroyed and all living in the cities and also the vegetation in the land. But Lot's wife looked back and she became a pillar of salt. Why did Lot... See, it wasn't the fact that Lot's wife wanted to see the fire raining down and it's not the fact that Lot's wife saw the destruction. It's that Lot's wife's heart turned to all the things she loved. You with me? Lot's wife remembered all the debauchery that she had compromised towards. Are you with me? It wasn't that she was looking at the scenery. It's that she was yearning for the filth. Oh, this is really hard. This is probably one of the straightest sermons I've ever preached here. And we need to eat this once in a while. We don't need this all the time. We need this once in a while so that we don't get deceived. Because the deception's getting strong, guys. Yep. See, you know you've got a stronghold when someone starts preaching. Look, I'm not, I'm not adding nothing to this. I'm just, I'm, the only thing I'm adding is explaining so you understand what's happening. This, this book's speaking for itself real well. If you're offended with me or if you're uncomfortable, know that you are compromised. And you care more about your comfort and your opinions than you do truth. And that's time to repent. Yeah. Repent just means I need to, I, you know what? My head is flooded with compromise. I've actually indulged with a whole bunch of stuff. I've got sin strongholds in my mind and my life. God help me. And that's where Jesus said, come by for me, gold refined at the fire. I'm going to make a way for you to make it. So if you're, feeling, if you're feeling messed up right now, good. Just hang on a minute. Breakthrough cleansing and purity is coming. And Jesus can bring you through this stronger than ever before. Okay. So I, I wrote here, Lot was not completely, completely obedient See, we can actually sometimes do what God says to do, but we actually do it with attitude. And then along the way, we twist it into something else, and then we wonder why we messed up. Lost, Lot lost his wife. And then a little bit further along the story, his daughters got him drunk and got pregnant with him in the same day. Now, that's a messed up story. But that's what, that's what sowing compromise into your life and community does. It brings corruption, perversion, and brokenness. That's nothing that's going to make anyone happy ever. Okay. And that's, that's language that's actually not that uncommon in our society anymore. See, the, the temperature in the water is slowly rising and no one's really figuring out the frog's just going to die. Okay. Okay, now I need to, how, how am I doing? Oh, we're doing great for time, you guys. You guys are awesome. Number five. 
Let's go to Numbers chapter 11, please. Numbers chapter 11, I'm going to read from verse 1 through to 6. We're going to talk about the children of Israel. Now, you guys know, before you read along in that passage, you guys understand the power with which God delivered them out of Egypt. God had those 10 plagues. I mean, the firstborn of everything. I mean, there was the firstborn crickets dying on the side of the road. There was the firstborn cows, the firstborn chickens. There was firstborn crocodiles dying. There was the firstborn of all human beings dying in one night. That was the one that broke Pharaoh. I mean, we hear the story, but we don't get it. That's like some kind of sci-fi movie where one out of every four or five people are are dead. Are you following me? So, So God literally smashed the power and will of Egypt. Egypt is a type of the world. When Jesus died on the cross, he went down into hell and he smashed Satan. It was not a negotiation. He decimated him in a fight. Little devil head pancake. God said it was going to happen. He said to Eve, the, the, the devil's seed will bruise your seed's heel, but your seed's uh, foot is going to squash his head. Come on. This is good. Okay. So let's, let, let's go here. So uh, Numbers chapter 11, the children of Israel have been delivered. The Red Sea's opened. Uh, the children of Israel got across. Pharaoh was stupid enough to believe that God was going to let him get access to. He all drowned in the sea. That was a swimming lesson uh, that went real badly. <laughs> and, then, and then the children of Israel, they come out into the desert. We've got to have a, we've got to have a couple of little laughs in the middle of this, right? A spoonful of sugar makes the medicine go down. I, I watched Mary Poppins when I was a kid. Okay, Numbers chapter 11, verse 1. So now they're in the desert. Now when the people complained, it displeased the Lord. I spoke about this last week when I talked about gratitude. For the Lord heard it, and his anger was aroused. We read this very scripture. So So the fire of the Lord burned among them and consumed some in the outskirts of the camp. Remember that bad real estate we talked about last week? Uh, Then the people cried out to Moses, and Moses prayed, and the fire was quenched. Uh, So he called the name of the place Terabah, Tabera. I'm terrible with those words, but that's that's all good. It it sounds good in your head until you say it out loud. Because the fire of the Lord had burned among them, now the mixed multitude who were among them yielded to intense craving. They were in a desert. Now, what you don't know, unless you've, I've, I've spent a lot of time and I've done very well in my schooling years um, in history, the, the children of Israel, their, their slavery period in Egypt was 400 years. While they actually had servitude, they were fed very well. They had Egyptian beer, they had a huge array of foods, they ate very well. They weren't like getting a piece of bread every day, Okay. Now, that's important to understand that if you're going to truly understand what freedom looks like from the world. And we're going to go somewhere right now. I like exposing the works of the enemy. So they, they, they yielded to intense craving. So the children of Israel, why did they yield to intense craving? Because they were used to a different appetite. They were used to eating three meals a day. They were used to the diet of the world. Okay. 
So then they came out and they had all these cravings. Do you remember when we used to just go out drinking? Do you remember when we just looked at pornography all the time? Do you remember when we slept with whoever we wanted to? Do you remember when it was okay just to talk bad about whoever we wanted to? Do you remember when it was okay to just hate people and not forgive people? Come on, somebody. This is good. This is really good. So they yielded to intense craving. So the children of Israel wept again and said, Who will give us meat? We remember the fish which we ate freely. Notice there, freely? They were slaves that ate well. See, the devil had you chained, but he feeds you well. He doesn't want you looking for breakthrough. He wants to keep you on a diet so you don't look anywhere else. He understands his prison, prison system's different. His prison system is a system of distraction. So it, it describes what they, we ate freely in Egypt, the cucumbers, the melons, the leeks, the onions, the garlics, the fish. But now that we're free, now that God's rained 10 plagues and, you know, and Jesus has come and died on a cross for me, broken the chains of the enemy, torn the curtain in two. Now that I have access to God, I'm hungry. Gives it to us. (laughs) Precious. But now our whole being is dried up. Now that's an interesting statement. My whole being is dried up. And there is nothing at all except this manna before our eyes. I'm going I'm to say this right here. God brings you out of bondage. God brings you out of the world. God brings you out of slavery to the devil where you ate well. And he doesn't take you to another banquet right away. He takes you to a desert to purge you of that stuff. And it might not look like you've got a whole lot of appetite happening right away. But God's trying to get that stuff out of your system and get you to a new season. Someone's got to get this. And in the midst of what looks like lack, you have the ability to go reach out for the stuff you used to eat. Come on, somebody. Well, if I just go and meet my friends out in the clubs again, isn't it important that I stay relevant? Well, you know, that that ex-girlfriend, her soul matters. And so does her body. Oh, I'm enjoying today. <laughs> Someone getting this? See, you might have got freedom spiritually, but you haven't changed yet. And there's something in you that's still alive. Remember what, like... Smeagol was doing real good. See, we brought Smeagol up. We need to go to this little Smeagol analogy. Smeagol's doing really good until he sees the ring. <laughs> you know, like... <laughs> oh. 
there was something in Smeagol that needed Jesus. <laughs> okay, so there are my five examples. Okay, see, the appetite of what you had in the world that's reaching out to you, that you start to remember. I mean, I told Pastor Jeff a hideous story I heard in a, in a third world country a little while back about people that practice very dark, dark, evil, evil, evil practices. And this guy is not churched. He doesn't have uh, social, uh, social media and stuff to, to know what's right and what's not right to say. But he came up to one of the, the American missionaries and he said, well, do you remember what I used to do? And he's like, he said to him, how do you deal with some of the stuff you used to do? And he's like, well, I just keep bringing it before Jesus and I fall in love with Jesus. And he's like, yeah, because just sometimes I really want to do that thing. And this dude was like, whoa, because it was hardcore. It was hardcore demonic. Doesn't matter what it is, you know what it is. You got to kill it. You got to kill it. There's no nice way to put it. You got to kill it because it's trying to kill you. Okay, so here comes the good part. So, how do we change? How do we get free? Okay, I'm going to read you. I'm going to read you a few things and then I'm going to give you a few keys on how you can walk in freedom, okay? Can we do that? So, um, We have to strip off the enemy's weights over our lives. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 1 through 7, if you're taking notes. Therefore, we also, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, all of the saints that have gone before and that have paid a price so that you could have the gospel today, that gave all for Jesus, some gave all, gave everything, gave their lives. They're actually in heaven watching you because you are now the extension. Like Jesus, they've gone and sat down at the right hand of the Father. And the Father, like in Psalms chapter 110, saying, Come sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. See, I had a guy call me yesterday and he said, I just don't believe that we're warriors. And I said, How do you believe that? And this is, this is one that a lot of people talk about. Can I, can I just talk about it for a second? It's like, oh, we don't believe that, I don't believe that we're worried, and I'd love your input on it. I said, well, okay, let me ask you this question. I said, is Jesus a lamb? Yes. Is Jesus a lion? Yes. Jesus came as a lamb the first time. What's he coming back as the next time? Lion. That's going to be a terrifying day, right? Jesus, when he died at the cross, I want you to get this because a lot of people don't understand what actually happened. The Father has already judged Satan. Agreed? When Jesus died at Calvary, he went down into the lower parts of the earth and he did not tie up Satan. Can we agree? He defeated him for salvation. He did not shut down the demonic army. The time's not yet. So evil still rules on the earth, but now salvation's available. Are you with me? So when Jesus rose, he rose and he gave gifts to men so we can become the sons and daughters of God and have access to uh, uh, the kingdom equipment. That then makes us soldiers in an army that's looking to populate heaven on earth and remove hell's power. True? So when Jesus was told to sit down at the right hand of the Father until the Father makes Jesus' enemies Jesus' footstool, which army is he going to use to do that? Because Jesus has already sat down. Are you with me? And he said, oh. I said, yes. 
just because there's so much messed up teaching out there. Oh, you don't have to do anything anymore. Jesus did it all. Lies. That's a lie. And that's the stuff I'm, I'm at war with, and I want you to be at war with. Because we're not here to be deceived. We're here to be advised by that book and live our lives accordingly. Come on, somebody. See, the reason that Christians struggle is because they're fed lies and it makes them weak. I'd rather speak straight to you and give you the equipment that causes you to have victory and success than watch you struggle and, and, and drown. Are you with me? I'm super happy. You know why? Because this preaching is going to set you free. And it's going to get the confusion out of your head that lying preachers that all they care about is money and fame have been shoving down your throats. And if you're in a church and you're listening to that kind of garbage, you need to get out of that church and get to somewhere where they're speaking the truth and the life. I don't care if it's this church, you go to somewhere where they're speaking truth and life. There needs to be a separation out of Egypt and the kingdom. Because there's a whole lot of preachers that have a form of godliness, but they deny the power. Amen? They just care about popularity and fame and money, and that's all a devil. 100%. I don't repent for that at all. That's the truth. Jesus made a whip and he went into the temple. He goes, you guys have made my, heart, my father's house a place of business. This is a house of prayer. Get out. That was not sweet, loving lamb Jesus. That was different on fire Jesus. He whipped people. He turned table. Oh, Jesus. Yes, go read the book. He did it. He, 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 he did the, well, you could probably call it, he got the, he got the ephod. They didn't have t-shirts back then. So, okay. So let's, let's keep reading here. Let's keep reading. I need to keep moving. <laughs> I'm having a lot of fun, baby. Is that all right? Okay. So therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin. So there's weights and sin. I've preached this before. It's not just sin. It's the weights. It's the gray area stuff that makes you compromised. It might not be sin today, but it'll get you to sin next year. Are you with me? It's the mentalities. It's the compromise. It's the manipulation. It's the, oh, I don't really like that part of the book because, well, I just think it's harsh and I don't see the Father in it. That right there is a humanistic lie. See, everything in me is wrong. This is right. And if I don't feel comfortable with this, I have to suck it up. I don't build a theology to say, well, that was another dispensation. That was a different season of grace. Listen, that grace you're talking about is a lie. Because I'll tell you what, Trump's grace is truth. Grace is only valid when truth is established. That's another one that needs to be preached all over this nation. Grace is only valid or applicable when truth is established. Are you with me? We need to get the lies out, and I guess what? If you go after this, I know that some of you are almost upset. Good, because I pushed you right to the line that you said you were never going to get to. I want you to feel that. But if you go after this and you get the stuff out, you're going to start having visitations. You're going to start having dreams. God's going to start showing up in your bedroom. You're going to start having Holy Ghost encounters. You're going to start feeling victory over sin that you thought you had to compromise and accept because you thought it would never go away. See, God called you, created you, made you to live in victory where you actually feel hopeful. 
Not where you have to change your story and, well, God, God doesn't worry about that anymore. That's not going to take me to hell. I can live with it. I literally had someone to me that's been around every big name that you know. Every single big name that you know in ministry, this person's been around. And he told me, he said, I'm going to do this lifestyle now. He said, I, I just really know that God's for that. And I said, you give me one scripture that he said is, he's okay with it. Because it's not. I said, I, 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 got, I got no hate against you. I love you. You're my friend. You'll always be my friend. But I don't agree with that sin. And that sin is not who you are. You are a child of God. Right. You give me one scripture. Oh, I've got scriptures. No, you don't. You haven't read the book. You've listened to people that have told you about the book, but you haven't read it. Because if you read that book for yourself, you would not have an opinion. You'd only have obedience. So we should take off the weights and the sin that so easily ensnares us. It's going to try and get on you guys. I don't care if you just had a heavenly visitation last week. Tomorrow the devil's trying to figure out how to mess you up. He's trying to figure out how to put stuff in front of your eyes. Come on. Let's not pretend like that stuff doesn't happen. There's billboards. I'm looking at just regular Facebook stuff, and all of a sudden I'm seeing stuff that should be on uh, X-rated movies. It's in, my, it's in my phone, and I'm not even looking for it. Do you understand what I'm saying? It's constantly trying to get in my face. So watch this. Let us lay aside every weight and sin that so easily ensnares us, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. See, you are in a race, you are in a battle. This is what Paul said at the end. I told this guy yesterday on the phone. I said at the end of Paul's life, he said, I have run the race and I fought the fight. You're in a war, baby. Because the enemy understands how powerful you are when you cross the line and say, no more compromise, I'm done. When you say, God, whatever you need to do, get this junk out of me. I don't want to live with this crap anymore. I don't want to live confused. I don't want to live constantly fighting stuff that I'm giving into. Come on. Woo, this can change life. If any message I've ever preached can change lives, it's this one. And I know it's God because he told me a week ago. (laughs) And that never happens for me. (laughs) That never happens. You're, You're awesome, Jesus. Thank you for telling me that. Okay, so let's keep reading here. Set down at the right-hand throne of God. For consider him, Jesus, who endured such hostility from sinners against himself, right? Lest you become weary and discouraged in your souls. Oh, it's so hard. You don't understand my journey. You don't understand the things I've dealt with. You don't understand my struggle. You just need to tell yourself to be quiet. I'm very compassionate that you've got pain. I'm very compassionate that your journey's difficult, but it needs to stop being your reason to quit. The problem is, is we pamper ourselves to fail. Well, if I just give up now, people know that I quit. People know that I tap out when it gets too tough. People know that I just disappear and stop showing up to church, and then I don't answer their calls because I've decided to go back down to the plains of Sodom. Come 
what you're actually saying is, I'm choosing to agree with the devil's plan to destroy my life. You don't have a choice anymore. You can't play sides anymore. You can't straddle the fence anymore. You have to be in or out. You have not yet resisted to bloodshed striving against sin. That's what Jesus did. Jesus had such a war in himself where he... Jesus, this might be a shock to you. Jesus did not want to go to the cross. He didn't want to go. Nevertheless, Father, not my will. So then Jesus had a will. But Jesus also had obedience. Jesus, the most intelligent being that's ever walked on this planet, apart from God himself, the Father. They're on the same page on that level. Jesus, I guarantee you, had a sophisticated plan B. I guarantee it. But the only acceptable answer is obedience. And obedience will kill your flesh. Okay. What I'm trying to tell you is, all those excuses that you've built up, all those reasons, you need to stop seeing them as facts. You've made them facts in your head, and they're not. They're lies. There's something that you need to now expose and pull out into the open and say, I'm going to discipline myself. Like you guys ever, everyone here probably at some point has dieted one way or another. The first day that you, like you know the next day, it's like, man, I'm eating a cheeseburger right now, but this time tomorrow. (laughs) Dude, this is going to be rough. Hello? You know what I'm talking about? And you just need to, oh, just give it another day. Another week, another month, another year. No, you just need to suck it up, buttercup. And you say, I'm doing do this right now. I'm going, I'm in a deal. Look, I've been dealing with this for 30 years, 20 years, 10 years, 50, whatever it's been. I'm done. I'm going all in. I'm going to stop romancing the devil and pretending like the stuff that I have in his playground is somehow better. See, this is what I was going to say when I was talking about the children of Israel. When you despise the season that God has you in, you start to resent the provision, the manner that he's given you, and you start to lust after what the devil has on offer, even though you know it represents poison and slavery. You've got to see it for what it is. The spell needs to come off. And you need to see it like the enemy, not like some comfort friend. Okay. Now watch this. I'm going to carry on reading here. Uh, and have you forgotten that the exhortation which speaks to you as sons? My son, do not despise the chastening of the Lord, nor be discouraged when you are rebuked by him. For the Lord loves, for whom the Lord loves, he chastens and scourges every son whom he receives. For if you endure chastening, God deals with you as sons. If you don't endure chastening, God doesn't deal with you as sons. Let that sink in. That's real. For what son is there, what daughter is there, whom the father does not chasten? Scourging, that word scourging, it's the tearing off of flesh. You know that bit in The Passion, that movie, The Passion of the Christ, when the Roman soldiers, they change the whip and they grab the short one that has the hooks and the bones and the end of the, of the rope. And the first one that goes into the side of Jesus and it tears a chunk of his flesh out, that's scourging. What it's saying is, is the father scourges us. What is that doing? Removing your carnal flesh that craves the devil's menu. 
He's getting the flesh off you that doesn't, that, that doesn't actually appreciate the manner, the provision, the barren season. Oh, I've been single for the last two years. And you're free. <laughs> right? You could have been married to some random that would have ruined your entire life. And here you are getting a detox and God is healing you. Don't make the desert 40 years when it's supposed to be three days. The next point is be holy and separate. The first one was getting the weights off. Be holy and separate. Now this one that I'm about to read, I don't know when the last time it was read in this territory. I've been doing that a bit lately, but I think we just need to. 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 11. 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 7. Now before I read this, I want to I put it in context. Holiness is about ownership, not behavior. I'm going to say that again. Holiness is about who owns you, not about your behavior to look like you're owned by God. Holiness is about who owns you, and as a result of who owns you, the characteristics of who you are are just, rather than I need to change my behavior so I look like I'm connected. Are you with me? Okay, so I just want to read that first before we read this, this, this scripture here. So 2 Corinthians chapter 6, I'm going to start in verse 11. O Corinthians, we have spoken openly to you. Our heart is wide open. You are not restricted by us, but you are restricted by your own affections. Now in return for the same, I speak to you as children, you also be open. Do not be unequally yoked with unbelievers. Now, well that's just about marriage. Okay, unequally, unequally yoked might look like someone that you got to pray the prayer and you're 12 years deep in God. Okay. Unequally yoked might look like, well, I am at church two times a week and then we've got home groups, but I spend 90% of my spare time around people that are completely reprobate, carnal, and do wicked stuff. And I sit there soaking up the atmosphere. And I say nothing. Oh, but I'm trying to connect and be relevant. No, do not be deceived. Bad company corrupts good habits. You're deceived. You believe that you can influence them. They're influencing you. That's what the Bible... Oh, I don't like what you're saying. I'm just giving you scriptures. The problem is, is that you're so proud that you believe you know better than God. That's for somebody in this room, because I can feel it. Yeah, you just need to humble yourself and say, okay, actually, maybe I need to adjust. Maybe my head has become, maybe your brain is your biggest muscle in your body instead of your heart. Your brain, your intellectualism is going to fight God till the grave. For instance, God's told us to like, oh, give this or give that or do this or do that. And it's like, your brain immediately kicks in. It's like, that's, that's really dumb. I shouldn't do that. And you have to go, shut up. Spit. Yes, Lord, I'll do whatever you want. I'll give you what you want. You, it's all yours. Does this make sense? Okay. Okay. So do not be equally, unequally yoked with unbelievers. Now, here we get to the good bit. For what fellowship has righteousness with lawlessness? Oh, I'm just really attracted to those people. I'm not really drawn to Christians. I don't like hanging out with Christians. I like hanging out with unbelievers. 
For what fellowship has righteousness with lawlessness? And what communion has light with darkness? And what accord has Christ with... The, the, the correct translation is Beelzebub or Satan. You don't see Jesus and Satan sitting down having a meal and hanging out and talking about the good old days. They're done. They're arch enemies. See, what you need to realize is you're not called to be everyone's friend. Oh, I just really like being a nice person. Yeah. So you're nice to everyone and loyal to no one. And what part has a believer with an unbeliever and what agreement has the temple of God with idols? You cannot have your idols and think that God is cool being in the other corner. You can't have all your porno and your Bible. Are you with me? Oh, let's, let's take it down a notch. Let, I'm going to really get in someone's world right now. You can't have all of your humanistic theology and ideology stacked up where you're just constantly talking with your big fat opinion all the time and telling everyone how they should live and making up your own rules and then have your Bible on your dresser, which you pick up every Sunday and dust off and bring it to church. Are you with me? See, when we realize that we're wrong and God's right, pride can now leave. Ego can leave, and we can finally... See, I, I can't... There's people that, oh, can I hang out with you? Can I hang out with you? I'm sorry, you're not teachable. You're going to waste my time. You believe you know everything. Why would I waste my time? Are you with me? Because I'm here to invest, not spend. I want to see Christ formed in you. I want, to see, I want to see kingdom starting to be formed on the inside of you where you start becoming a champion of the kingdom in this territory. Come on. So what is the agreement of the temple of God? That's me. I'm the temple of God. It's not a building anymore. I'm the temple of God with idols. Oh, yeah, yeah. All the stuff you worship. Your status on social media, everybody liking you, that's an idol. Can we go there? Your need to be liked. You, you being, the, being the, the court jester so that everyone will think highly of you. If you're truly going to live for God, you've got to let go of that stuff. I died to that a long time ago, if you notice. Otherwise, my sermons or the sermons we preach here would be very different. There's not many people that like this, but the Bible tells me that this is the kind of time we live in where people wouldn't like this much. That doesn't change my message. I'm not changing because the world's changed. I'm going to stay the same like my father. Now, I'm going to try and help those people, but I'm not going to lower where I'm at. Jesus, if you notice, never chased the rich young ruler. Oh, I just want to be relevant. Let me, oh, no, we can make room for you. I really need you. No, no, the rich, Jesus stood there, said what he said. Go sell everything and come give to the poor and come be one of my disciples. Rich young ruler turned around and walked away sad and Jesus did not chase. See, that's against our theology because we have to chase everyone because everyone needs to be connected. Because 
hey, Peter, you want to come and be a part of this? Leave your fishing boats. Come follow me. Price. Hello. That's why there's not many real Christians anymore because no one's paid a price because churches have made it easy to follow Jesus. But it's actually a different Jesus. Jesus demanded prices of people. Okay. For, we are, for you are the temple of the living God, and as God has said, I will dwell with them and walk among them. I will be their God, and they shall be my people. Therefore, now watch this. Therefore, come out from among them and be separate, says the Lord, and do not touch what is unclean, and as a result, I will receive you, and I will be a father to you, and you shall be my sons and daughters, says the Lord God Almighty. Now, I can go into dark places, I can meet broken people and minister to them, but that is not my MO, being in that environment. My job is to go be in the throne, and then from that place, come out and minister. I'm not saying some weird uh, offshoot of like, we don't go near dirty people. That's not what I'm saying. Jesus mainly hung out with prostitutes and lepers. And tax collectors. Jesus hung out with all the people that society despised, but Jesus didn't fellowship for fun in places of filth. Everywhere that Jesus went that was dark and broken was a mission, not a mandate of rest. There's a difference. Are you with me? Okay. So again, holiness is not about ownership. It's more, sorry, it's not about behavior. It's about ownership. Okay, next one, death to self. Okay, death to self, Matthew, Matthew 16, verse 24. Then Jesus said to his disciples, if anyone wants to desire me, let him deny himself, take up his cross and follow me. Don't hear the scripture so much that it becomes normal in your brain. The words mean what the words mean. If you want to follow Jesus, you don't get to be the star of the show anymore. You have to deny yourself. That means your opinions, your will, your, your uh, priorities, your wish list, all, your bucket list, all of that stuff goes second and Jesus comes first. Are you with me? Um, let him deny himself, take up his cross and follow after me. For whoever desires to save his life will lose it and whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. For what profit is it if a man gains the whole world and loses his own soul? Remember, on that day, many are going to say, Lord, Lord, we did all these good works. And he's going to say, depart from me, I never knew you. Intimacy is where it's at. Intimacy. Okay. Or what will a man give in exchange for his soul? Okay, now then come down to uh, the first book of John, the, go- the gospel, not the gospel, the epistle of John. First John chapter 2, I'm going to read from verse 15. Now this is, this is one that I want to sear into your hearts. If you guys would like, we can have these notes available on Tuesday night. And we're also going to do them on Thursday. Okay, we're going to do this at a home group. We need to get this in us. Okay, 1 John chapter 2, verse 15, Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. Oh, I just really need to live my life. I've got priorities. I've got things that I need to do, and God respects that. Yeah, are you in the world and operating for the Father, or are you becoming assimilated with it, and do you love it? Is it your end game? Is is it the whole be-all and end-all value system of your life, or are you living for eternity? Come on, this this is the one that you need to look at every day, 1 John 2 verse 15, and say, God, am I on the right side of this? This is a scary scripture. 
Do not love the world or the things in the world. If, the, if anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. Do you know how, can I give you a test on this? Here's the test. If Holy Spirit or your pastor or anyone in your life says, give that thing up, and you're like, I would never give that thing up, you love it. The only thing that should be non-negotiable is your walk with Jesus. Everything else, and you're, you're, if you're married, that covenant too. Everything else is, is perishable. Well, I wanted to do that. I wanted to be that. I want to have that thing. I want to have that relationship. No, if Jesus says no, it's out. If it's not out, that means you love it. And if, it, if you love it, you're connected with the world and the devil has something in you. There's a hard word right here, but it's one that'll help you. One that'll help me. Okay, watch this. There's three things in here that you start to see. The love of the Father is not him. For all that is in the world, watch this. The lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. The lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, covetous of things. The lust of the flesh, sexual desire. The lust of the eyes, all the things that you covet. And the pride of life. Take and eat, let's eat, drink and be merry, for tomorrow we die. You, you, become, you become enraptured in your world. This is the only thing that there is. We forget real easy that God's right there. That the angels are either side of me noting every word that I say right now. They're right here, right now, writing down the words that I'm saying and taking it and reporting it before the throne. Everything you do is recorded. And on the other side of this breath... In one second, I can be standing before the Father. We have to live for eternity, not for, well, I just, my career is everything right now. You know, like, I'm trying to start another business right now, and that, the reason that I'm trying to start another business is not for quality of life, because we're trying to believe God that we can buy a church building. I don't care about that stuff. God will take care of me. God will take care of you. Stop looking at it like it's everything in your world. It's not. God, God could take everything out of my life right now and dump us in a foreign nation and we'd be super rich within a few years. Why? Because I've got covenant blessing. It's not about the money. It's not. Well, I just need to be around those people. No, no. Your mentality is so screwed up that you're in Sodom and you don't even realize how far you've gone. And if anyone tries to tell you, you attack them. And you leave the church and burn it to the ground and tell everyone this, that, and the other, and then you move on to the next thing. Come on, somebody. You know I'm telling the truth. Okay. You give me a little bit longer. I'm almost done. Ooh, this is good. <laughs> okay. In the pride of life. It is not the Father. It is not of the Father, but of the world. And the world is passing away, and the lust of it. But he who does the will of God abides forever. That's us. Say, that's me. See, some of you right now are struggling because you know there's big stuff in your life that has strongholds. Here's the good news. There's a loophole on heaven's side. Come buy from me gold refined in the fire. God, I don't know how to get this out of me. I'm so wired into this DNA of prioritizing this thing or feeding that thing or having an appetite or having that sin that's a stronghold. God, I need you to come burn it out of me because I don't even have the strength to get it out. That's the prayer you pray. God, get this thing out of me. I don't know how to do it. Come talk to your pastors that love you and care for you. We will help you. But you need to have a moment with God where it's like, God, get this out of me. It needs to die.
because it's holding me back from the promised land. I could be eating milk and honey, but I'm eating manna in a desert and complaining. Woo! <laughs> okay. Yeah, real quickly. See, see, I remember I came out of a church and I went to uh, another church and very quickly, the pastor, I was young, I was like, I was 20, 20, I was 21-ish, and this pastor's son grabbed a hold of me because I was a good-looking young dude, and we were turning up to these Christian parties, and there was crazy stuff. The stuff happening at Christian parties was just as bad as the stuff happening at all the other parties, except they were Christian. And then I started hitting the club scene, and I really liked that because I could escape from my world. And I was going to church, and that undiscerning church was asking me to jump on their worship service on Sunday. So I would go out with my buddies on Saturday night, and we would, we would hit all the clubs, and we'd be chasing girls four or five nights a week. And then I would party all the way up to about 4 a.m. in the morning, sometimes 5, go home, sleep a couple of hours, wash all the smoke stench off me, get into my nice church clothes, go to church two hours later. We bless your name. And let me just tell you something about the spirit of the world. The spirit of the world is a powerful seduction witchcraft. And within a few months, I actually fully believed that God was cool with me out and, you know, dancing in the clubs and grinding up on chicks. I'm just being honest. This is real. And I didn't think I was so deceived. I literally was having open visions, didn't even know what, I didn't have the language, I didn't know what they were. I was in this massive rave, and this white smoke body snake serpent with a mouth and, and those forked tongue, it's it, about the circumference of this room, it circled down into the room. And I'm sitting there, doo, 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 right, and this snake's coming down into the room, and I knew it was a demon coming to get me. And I would be like, God, save me, save me. And I'd go home and I'd be out the next night doing the same thing. Because I thought that was an event, not an atmosphere. And then I'd be at church and I didn't, and I was so messed up in this world. Now, this is an extreme statement. Some of you go, well, I don't do that. Yeah, but you're all over social media. And you're compromised in the way that you do stuff where no one's looking. And you're compromised what you do online. And you're compromised with all your priorities and your friends and your humanistic opinions that actually conflict with the blood of Jesus. I was so deceived. One day Holy Spirit said, you need to stop right now. And I kept going for another six weeks and the grace started lifting and stuff started messing with me. And I almost made some terrible decisions. And I knew that, it, I knew that the armor wasn't there anymore of grace. And I was out. That was it. Done. Never gone back. There's stuff you have to divorce. There's stuff you've got to get out of your life. Okay, I'm going to keep going. Whatever. This is, hey, they have four or five hour meetings in, in Asia and Africa. We can do this. We can do this. We, this is the message we need to get. If you get this, you start becoming a champion. If you don't, you stay a slave and you pretend your kingdom. Here's a real good one here. I'm going to read this one. Uh, the Gospel of John, chapter 15, verse 18. Here's another one. This, this stuff, I've just never heard people preaching this in this territory. So that's why I'm going to preach it. John, chapter 15, verse 18. If the world hates you, oh, but we're supposed to be relevant to the world, says what scripture? What scripture? You tell me. <laughs> Not one scripture in that book tells you to be relevant. Tells you to win souls. 
tells you to show yourself friendly, but it doesn't tell you that you should water down the gospel of the cross and the blood of Jesus so that someone else feels good about their sin. Ever. We're not here to... Now look, the flip side of that, so that none of you become wonky, because I always have to do that, otherwise people run off on extremes. Jesus didn't come into the world to condemn it, but to save it. So you don't become an arrogant, saved Christian. You become a merciful son who's been endowed with mercy yourself. But you do not change the gospel for acceptance. I'm so glad that Jesus didn't want to be relevant. He wanted to be right. Okay. Uh, John 15, verse 18. If the world hates you, you know that it hated me before it hated you. This is the right expectation right here. When I see churches and and popular, charismatic, uh, celebrity preachers trying to be popular in the world, it disgusts me. Now, someone like Billy Graham, that's different. That's not what I'm talking about. He had a platform that God gave him. But when you watch people that try and look like the world but say, oh yeah, I'm like... I'm, this, I'm a pastor, I'm a leader, but they're living a compromised life or they've compromised the gospel. and try, Like, you know, here's the deal. God hopes, I hope that no one ever puts me on it and I'm not, I'm not famous, no one knows who I am. I'm just a little dude on the backside of Huntington Beach, but I've watched some of these pastors get on these late night shows and people ask them direct questions and the answers that, have, that they've given are worth crying over. Do you guys know what I'm talking about? The late night TV shows where the host is there with loaded questions saying, what does the Bible say? And they say, well, I don't really believe that you know, all, this is the only religion to get to heaven. I don't believe that homosexuality is going to be made to go to hell. Because if you ask me that question, I'm going to tell you the truth because I value your soul. Because if someone that has status answers wrong, they're sending thousands if not millions to hell. Do you understand that? Because it only takes hearing one time for someone that's respected in the kingdom to empower people to live like devils and never come to the cross. We can't compromise. It's not that we're not loving. It's that we're loving and we're honest. Okay. Woo. If the, if the world hates you, know, you know that it hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love you. Let that scripture sink in. Yet because you are of the world, uh, because you are not of the, wor- of the world, but I chose you out of the world. You notice he used the language out? Jesus calling you out of the world. Um, Therefore the world hates you. Remember, that the, the word, remember the word that I said to you, a servant is no greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. If they, if, if they kept my word, they will also keep yours. But all these things they will do for you for my name's sake, because they do not know him who sent me. If I had come and spoken to them, they would have. Uh, if I had not come and spoken to them, they would have no sin. Understand that truth is the conviction of sin. If Jesus hadn't come, there would be no judgment. The law hadn't come, there would be no conviction. Does this make sense? So Jesus came, and what he came actually spoke the way of salvation. But to do that, you're going to have to be honest about the realities of eternity. And to do that, you're going to have to offend people because now you're telling people they're wrong, which makes people want to kill you, which is why Jesus ended up on the cross. That's really why. He said he was the son of God. 
But now they have no excuse for their sin. He who hates me hates my father also. If I had done among them the works which, which none else did, they would, have, they would have no sin. But now they have seen and also hated both me and my father. But this happened that the word might be fulfilled, which is written in their law, they hated me without a cause. Okay? Now I'm going to give you real quickly, now I'm going to give you three keys. I know this is a massive message, but someone needs this today. Three keys to how you divorce. See, the only time that you're allowed to use the word divorce is right now. The only time you're allowed to use the word divorce is right now. And I'm going to tell you, because I, I, the reason I told you about my clubbing days is because I really struggled with the spirit. So I get it. I understand. And it has different faces. Some of it, you remember there's the three? The pride of life, the lust of the eyes, the lust of the flesh. You might, and by the way, part of that is spiritual pride too. There's different forms of pride. So don't think just because you don't have a problem with pornography or alcoholism or, or whatever it is, womanizing, that that's not something that's hitting you. Well, I'm good. I play in the worship team. I, you know, I do ushering. I greet at the door. I help with the kids' church. Yeah, and I'm good. I'm actually better than most people. I'm ahead of the game. See what I'm saying? <laughs> so, so it comes at you from different angles. So, so let's, this is the key that God gave me that helped get me free. Are you ready? Hebrews chapter 11, verse 24. By faith, Moses, when he became of age, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing... Now, does anyone understand what that means? He literally grew up like a king. He lived in palaces. He ate the best of the best. But he had an awakening where he realized that he was Hebrew. So instead of living in luxury with the world, let's read, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to suffer, suffer affliction with the people of God than enjoy the passing pleasures of sin. Boom. It's better to live a life with hardship than live a life with sinful luxury. Taking indulgences that you can never pay for. That's actually what sinful luxury means. Taking indulgences that you can never pay for. Esteeming the reproach of Christ greater riches than the treasures of Egypt. For he looked to the reward. By faith he forsook Egypt, not fearing the wrath of the king, the devil's power over you, the friend's approval or disapproval, your status in the community. For he endured as seeing him who is invisible. Come on, burning bush. By faith he kept the Passover and the sprinkling of blood, lest he who destroyed the firstborn should touch him too. See, the key to divorcing the spirit of the world is realizing that you were raised in Pharaoh's court, fed the luxuries and the delicacies of this world, and you have to come out from that. Come on, literally, I didn't think of it till right now. It looks like that movie, The Matrix, where they unplug, and they unplug from those beautiful restaurants and the perfect world, and now they're in some like underground tunnel thing, and they're eating mush out of a, out of a machine, remember? It might look like that for a season, but you're free from the system of the world. Come on, somebody. This is good news. So number one, you have, to be, you have to be willing to understand that this world is passing away, that this world is not your inheritance, that you have been deceived into thinking that this is your environment. But actually, it's better to suffer with the kingdom of heaven and the family of God temporarily 
than to be lulled into a spell by the system of the world and the pleasures that the devil offers. Point number two. John chapter 4 verse 15. John chapter 14 verse 15. If you love me, keep my commandments. There's a lot of people say they love Jesus, but they don't do what he says. There's a lot of people say I'm a Christian, but they wouldn't ever consider dying to themselves. Jesus says, if, now here's this, if you love me, keep my commandments, actually is a blessing for you. It's not a servitude to some hard master. God's saying, if you love me, I want the best for you. Do what I say. It'll bring about the best results. Even if you're in a desert for a season and you've had all this stuff, the leeks and the garlic and the fish and all the onions, and now you've just got manna for a season and there's parasites purging out and everything in you was screaming. Has anyone here ever been on a detox? Dude, you had demons you didn't even know on on those first two, three days of that detox. You become the nastiest thing that ever happened in your world. Because when stuff's coming out that's been living off you, toxins are released, and God's actually cleansing you, and you don't like the way it feels, but you're going to like where he's taking you. He can't just take you there, because otherwise you'll take those parasites and you'll plant them into the new land. Come on. Or you'll think it's acceptable to take them to the promise. So you'll tolerate them for the rest of your life. Come on, somebody. So that's point number two. If you love me, keep my commandments. Point number three. This is the final point. Proverbs chapter 9, verse 10 and 12. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. See, the problem why people have so many opinions right now is because this is a generation that has forgotten the fear of the Lord. When I have a thought that comes into my mind or we think about doing something, probably the first thought on, on average in my whole life, what I'm going to preach on a Sunday, even down to that level, is God going to be pleased? Has God said this to me or is this just something I've created in my mind? I fear God more than anyone's opinion in this room. My wife fears God more than my approval. Do you understand? We need to get back to a place. The Bible says the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. What that means is if you get the fear of the Lord, your whole life starts to balance right. Come on. The reason that people sin is because they don't believe that there's a consequence, so they create a God that forgives easily and forgets quick. God can only forgive true repentance. I don't have time to get into it right now, but God doesn't, God actually, forgiveness doesn't look like, oops, I did it again. That's not repentance. That's another message. So the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, and the knowledge of the Holy One is understanding. For by me, your days will be multiplied. Someone say multiplied. multiplied. Without the fear of the Lord, your days get shortened. This is good wisdom here. Simple stuff. And the years of your life will be added to you. If you are wise, you are wise for your own benefit. And if you scoff, you will bear the consequences alone. It looks like Jesus saying, I set before you life and death. Please choose life, but I'm not going to force you. If you want death, you can have it. Come on. And I have, another, I have another scripture on the same point. So the fear of the Lord is the third one. If you don't have the fear of the Lord and you don't know what it is, start praying every day, God, Holy Spirit, instill in me the fear of the Lord. 
One of the ways you do that is you start digging into this book and you start reading Proverbs, start reading the Gospels and start looking at Jesus, the author and finisher of your life instead of you being the master and commander of your decisions and your opinions and your mistakes and your compromises and your manipulation and your, your loyalty towards hell rather than your honor towards the king. Last, last scripture, uh, Psalms chapter 111, verse 10. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. A good understanding uh, have all those who do his commandments. If you keep the book, if you follow his commandments, you get good understanding. Fear of the Lord is established. His praise endures forever. Amen. Amen. Someone get something today? <laughs>